This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. can't believe luke and leia finally hooked up in the new star wars movie <laughs> and chewie just sat there and watched yeah he didn't do anything like about it game of thrones has really changed what is acceptable <laughs> and not acceptable in a pop culture mass market product they also didn't really explain it they just told us there was like a big slide that showed up and said this is in the books I mean, yeah, as an as an opening scene, also, I felt like it was a little bit of whiplash from the way that The Force Awakens ended. Yeah, like, where did Rey go? Why? I still liked it. Like, I think the nudity was really tasteful, but it just, you know, it just, I thought it could have used another another editing pass. I was, I was also surprised that John Williams let P. Diddy do most of the music. <laughs> yeah that was that that also was pretty surprising i thought it was right actually i think it was very fitting for what the movie i mean i think being. if you're gonna pass the baton to somebody then that's, why not that's diddy am go. i right but, uh-huh mm-hmm. yeah that's true mm-hmm. welcome to overdue this is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew of course as we alluded the big pop culture news from this weekend is the new star wars is out um, it's four hours long, a lot of nudity, like we said, but you know, I think overall a worthwhile addition to the franchise. Everyone dies and comes back again, and then some mm-hmm. of them die. It's mm-hmm. very jarring mm-hmm. and surprising. Mm-hmm. And then we find out actually that it's a prequel to episode one, and so in two years they're just going to re-release episode one again. And then we start again from the beginning. Yeah, but they got the boy to play the boy again, except mm-hmm. he's a man now. <laughs> but he plays yeah. boy Anakin again. Mm-hmm. It's going to be pretty successful, I think. Especially, I think it's, I think it's really bold. I'm, I am a fan. Got to go I for that R rating again, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, R is our letter of the week for reading, because we read on this podcast. Uh-huh. And each week, one of us has read a book. And then we talk about it on air for you, the listener, and for each other, your mm-hmm. good friends, Craig and Andrew. Mm-hmm. Craig, uh, what did you read this week? I read The Book Thief by Marcus Zuzak. Uh, and this was a Patreon recommendation from Allie. So thank you, Allie, for putting this on our list. Had you ever heard of this book? You, I had heard of it. Susanna read it, um, I want to say maybe on our honeymoon, maybe a little bit before. I don't mm, remember if it's okay. one of the honeymoon books. Um, but yeah, she, she read it. She liked it a lot. I believe she cried a little bit cause it's very sad. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's a sad book. And that's, that is my, that is the extent of my experience. With it. <laughs> okay, good. Um, Mr. Zuzak is a contemporary writer. This book came out in 2005, I think. That is right. Uh, he's Australian. He was born in 1975 and, uh, back in 2014, he won a, a Margaret A. Edwards award for YA lit. So, yeah. you know, he, people like him. Yeah. And this, this, I was surprised to, to 
find that this was the last book that he published back in 2005. Um, it's the fifth of five. The other most popular book that you may have heard of uh, from him is called The Messenger. It was called I Am the Messenger in the U.S. Uh, that was published in 2002. And then he's been working on this other novel called Bridge of Clay for like 10 years. <laughs> uh-huh. But he has not finished it yet. All right. He'll get there one of these days, I bet. Mm-hmm. He's 42. He's got his whole life ahead of him. Yes, to make. I think books. it's uh, like the sick, the phenomenal smash hit success of the book thief has, I think, intimidated him a little bit. Yeah, I could. And say. also, like, there's been a movie, and there's been a whole bunch of other stuff that's like taken up his time. Um, he said, I found an interview with him in, um, or was it in Paste Magazine? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where he says, sometimes I think if the book thief hadn't been so successful, I would have written it. I would have written, you know, the next book by now because I maybe would have had more time. Um, I've often said that I'm really lucky in that I've written four books that really mean something to me and one book that means everything to me, which is The Book Thief. (laughs) Um, I think sometimes you write a book that means everything to you and you want to do that again. Um, This book really does mean everything to me, this new one, but I think I'll be happy to go back and write a book that means something to me after this one. (laughs) (laughs) He's a clever guy. I like his, his prose is solid. It's a, a book that means something to me is a nice way to describe like a pot boiler. I yeah, a, a paycheck, a paycheck yeah. book, as it were. Just like I'm going to write this book. I'm not going to sweat it too much. It's probably going to be fine. But it, it sounds like maybe with the, the the Bridge of Clay book that he is getting in his own head about it a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, this uh, I was also interested to find that this book, when it was published in Australia, was just like published. They just put it out. People liked it. And then when they brought it to America, it was published as a YA book. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot about this issue about like why, like why, 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 um, and but I like why, with a, <laughs> but why? I mean, word, like yeah. on its surface, it is the prose is straightforward without being too simple. And the main character is a girl who at the beginning of the book is 10 and then is like 14 by the book's end. So it's right it's right there in the wheelhouse for like a teen reader. Yeah. Like, do you think it's about the age of the protagonist? Do you think it's like they just paste the manuscript into one of those websites that tells you what grade <laughs> level you write at? It's, and then they decide from there. It's like, probably <laughs> a little bit of both. It's also like it's got that kind of teen heartbreak thing going on not that it's a romance in any way shape or form Mm -hmm. um one of the reviews that i read of it um actually was like you when you pitch this book about world war ii and death and uh nazis you might wonder why it's a ya book but then you kind of get in there and you see the some of the growth of some of the characters and the characters you spend the most time with and you start to see what is successful in a lot of YA books, even if he didn't set out because that's why they are successful. Like you see some of the same tropes. You see some of the like family relationships that get explored in that type of fiction, which I think is because they speak to the lives of those of readers of that age. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we also talked about when we read the outsiders that like, that's one of the first ones. And before that, like sometimes you just had a book with teens in it and like, it was just a book. Um, <laughs> but then as like it becomes a market and it becomes like you can buy a, 
a teacher can buy a bunch of books if it's been marketed to kids and you know use it in class that way. Well, because yeah, it's a it becomes a whole marketing thing, and then once it becomes a marketing thing, like publishers start looking for that, and yeah. writers start writing things like specifically to be YA books instead of. Yeah, and I think the the elevator pitch of a a book about a young girl who steals books in Nazi Germany is less heavy than some of the realities of this book. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that to take away from the book. I think it's actually like a it's a good way to get the book in the hands of people who might be like, I don't need another depressing World War II story. Um, sure. I wanted to, but like before we get into yeah, yeah. the main book, because I know you want to talk about World War II a little bit. I just want to get this question out of the way because it's on my mind. Sure. Is, do you write a World War II book for the same reason that you make a World War II movie, which is to say to win Academy Awards for <laughs> it? Um, like, does any part of this strike you as cynical because just like World War hmm. II is the most like mineable like no of, of Here's, fiction actually, and, and literature so of this, the last like hundred years. Well, this might actually speak to both of those issues. Um, Zuzak wrote this book. Some of the things that happen in it are based on stories that his parents told him and his parents were kids in Europe during the time of World War II. His mom mm-hmm. was German. His dad was Austrian. So he's grown up in Australia. They were there during the Nazi regime, and they're telling him all these stories. Um, a couple of them make it into the book about uh, Zuzak's grandfather. They're not like written as his grandfather, but so this book is very personal to him um, because it is about his parents' generation and his parents' parents' generation. And I think what we've seen in Hollywood over the last 25, 30 years, it you know. Let's say you start with Schindler's List and move from there, I suppose. Even uh-huh. though there were World War II movies before that. Obviously, I was struck by the fact that uh, Sound of Music was made in like the late 50s. The musical was like 59. Yeah, right. And the movie was like 63 or something. I think you w- when you and I are thinking about it, it's like Schindler, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Like move on up, I guess maybe to Pearl Harbor. Well, yeah, Pearl as Harbor being like um, the kind of the the Silver Age of that <laughs> run the of Tarantino World War II one. movies. Yeah. Um, oh, HBO's, Bastards. Yeah, HBO's Band of Brothers series, that kind of thing. Um, that is a generation of filmmakers who are the children of people who fought in World War II. You know what I mean? Right, so yeah. I think for them, it is a far more immediate... It is fertile ground for winning awards because it is fertile ground for them creatively and it is fertile ground for the audience to have it mean something to. Uh-huh. Um, like I just did a play. I just directed a play that was set in post-World War II Amsterdam and there's a bunch of stuff in the play that I, I was like, you know, I had to kind of find my way into and find a modern like analog for some of the issues and I know that there were people in the audience whose like parents were in Europe or parents served in the war or something like that. And it there was like background stuff hitting them that I just had no control over, um, and could only hope would like mean something to the rest of the play, but mm-hmm. like was not even explicit in the play. Um, okay. So I think that to me, like this book does not feel like a I'm gonna write a World War II book because they're the they're the hot rage <laughs> right now <laughs> right. in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was even a, a question in that paste interview where he started in on it around 2001 and was there anything like 
in light of like world events or anything and he's an australian yeah so like what happened in 2001 well mm. in america obviously 9 mm. 11 happened and then i was yeah yeah of course, but well like i'm i was explicit about that because that was not an australian's experience necessarily um so i don't know what he was accessing and then i think he had a book about a girl who stole books like in a draft and then like kind of decided to make it part of this story that he was interested in okay um and he wanted to write a story up where death was a narrator and then ended up uh putting that into well world war ii that makes that makes sense okay now i'm um, just thinking of of other creative works with narrators where death actually is the narrator instead of whoever it is so like scrubs but <laughs> death instead of zach braff or like our town but death is the is instead the narrator. Of, or like what the, a Christmas story, but it's yes. death instead of Ralphie when he's old. Ooh, or Muppet Christmas Carol where it's death instead of Gonzo and the <laughs> and rat. the rat. Yeah, <laughs> I dig this. I want to talk about death some more because he's a really cool character. But okay. let's take a quick break and then we'll learn more about him. All right. Andrew, it's cold outside. I don't want to go outside of my house, but I need to eat or I'm going to die. Help. <laughs> oh, no. What if I sent you a box with food in it? Would that, would that help? Is the box, of, is the food fresh? Yes, it is fresh. Where'd it come from? It came from HelloFresh. Who's that? They are our sponsor this week. Oh, good. I'm glad you asked. Really, I am. (laughs) (laughs) HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that uh, shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. Um, So you pick a delivery day when it works best for your schedule. Um, You can pause deliveries when you're out of town if you don't want to get a box that week. Um, and what what they're going to send you is they're going to send you a big old cardboard box, right? And mm-hmm. it's going to have three smaller bags in it, and those bags each have uh, meals in them. Ooh, and cardboard's recyclable, so that's good. It is, yeah. All the packaging is recyclable. Um, they give you a wide variety of recipes that change every week. Um, you can choose from uh, classic veggie and family plans. Ooh. So classic, I, I believe, feeds two people. Veggie does that, but with vegetarian meals and family <laughs> is of course for a family great <laughs> and I, I these are like simple meals though right because it's like really cold and i have to like keep my family warm i don't have a lot of time to cook mm-hmm. because you're out like chopping wood i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the recipes only take around 30 minutes and um it's it's they have uh, one pot recipes for uh, speedy cooking and cleanup and they also offer a 20-minute meal on the classic menu every week. So uh, if you just want to do some chopping, do some cooking, then do some eating all in the space of around half an hour or so, like I think that's the one that you want. That is what I want. And you've mm-hmm. eaten this product? You've eaten this box of food? I have eaten this box of food, and it was pretty good food, I have to say. <laughs> I enjoy it. Yeah, I liked how all the recipes came in their own bag. I liked that it was easy. I liked that it was quick. Sure. And I like that I could get rid of all that packaging after. That's pretty good. <laughs> Just recycle it. So if if I wanted to do this, what should I do? Boy, you got so you got a lot of questions. I do. I have all the questions. I'm very cold and hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, to get so we can offer you, Craig, and Great. everyone who's listening to this, 
$30 off their first week of HelloFresh. Um, to get that, you got to go to HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code OVERDUE30. That's OVERDUE, the name of the podcast you're listening to, and the number 30. Um, again, that's HelloFresh.com, promo code OVERDUE30 for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. Sounds great. Thanks for saving my life, Andrew. You're welcome. Let's talk about death, Andrew. Okay, well, you know, have you met him? Not like personally. personally. Okay. I've seen his work. I'm not Yikes. a, let's say I'm not a fan of his work. Not a fan of his work. I understand it. I'm, I respect it. I'm familiar with it. I would it. not say I'm an enthusiast. Yes, I have not tried to emulate it. Um, yeah, so this book is interesting, first and foremost, because the narrator is deaf. Um, and as we so were joking, what jo- does that do? So yeah, we were joking before the break that like, what would that be like? And and it is interesting because I really couldn't think of another book that's done this, even though I'm sure it's happened. Um, a, it makes the book very conversational. It allows him to talk directly to the reader in a voice that doesn't feel constrained by the time period. So is death sort of a time hopping? Like, is he is he telling you the story as it happens? Is he telling you it after it's happened? Is it he... is after it's happened, and he is allowed to you know jump around. He can do the thing that the stage manager does in our town, where he you know introduces a character and then tells you what's going to happen to that character ten years later. But now let me tell you about this story. Or okay. oh, here's this other character that I need to jump back. 10 years to like tell you this other thing um and he's pretty conversational like does that is that conveyed through like tone is there slang he's like hey cowbunga dude (laughs) no he's not quite that so here's one of the first things that he says to the reader here is a small fact you are going to die I am in all truthfulness attempting to be cheerful about this whole topic, though most people find themselves hindered in believing me, no matter my protestations. And that's like the most formal that he gets. Mm-hmm. Um, the word protestations. Protestations, yeah. But later when he is describing himself, a small piece of truth. I do not carry a sickle or scythe. I only wear a hooded black robe when it's cold, and I don't have those skull-like facial features you seem to enjoy pinning on me from a distance. You want to know what I truly look like? I'll help you out. Find yourself a mirror while I continue. Hey. Death out. I got my webcam up. Yeah, just look at at yourself for a hot Mm -hmm. second. Yep. Do you see death? Because he's there. I'm putting the he on there. The no, I guess I see like subtle signs of aging and <laughs> So he describes himself as it's interesting he is he seems kind of like sad about us like he doesn't know what to do with us. It, in that same paste art interview that we mentioned before um he uh this is Zuzak says uh referring to death. What if he's actually scared of us and for us? Um he is like this ever-present character whose job it is is to carry our souls. He never talks about like taking or being mean um, or like delighting in what he's doing, but his job is to carry us to wherever we go. He, you know, he doesn't describe yeah, it. Right? I mean, it's like any job. You got good days. You got bad days. Yeah. You Some, know, sometimes the boss is just like really on your back and 
he he talks about God as his boss on one page, and he's whoa, like, really? Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't like, and I'm using he only uh, only because does of how death he, have minions. Like, is death middle management, or no, is death like pretty much solely responsible for his department? He's solely de- responsible for his department. He's sort of like an evil Santa Claus. Instead of giving you gifts, he takes your souls away, <laughs> and he can do it to everyone all at once. Um, Interesting. But his interactions with us are like personal and on a one by one level. Um, and he does talk about like God makes him work really hard and he's been doing it for a long time and he's kind of exhausted by it. I mean, did you see what God made his own son do? Like, <laughs> well, death was probably there. There is no nepotism. Sure. That God makes you work for it. And the thing that is troubling death, like the reason he's telling the reader this story and and what he's doing is he is sharing the story of a girl that he refers to as the book thief who wrote her life story down. He death read her book, Mm -hmm. which is kind of neat. Like that would be a blurb that I would put on the back of my novel if like Mm -hmm. death read it. Um, And he thinks so he says um he asked after he tells us that he has trouble with survivors he, he says this because i witness the ones who are left behind crumbling among the jigsaw puzzle of realization despair and surprise they have punctured hearts they have beaten lungs like he doesn't know what to do for the for the people who grieve after he takes like other people um and so he really just it really feels like you'd have a lot of practice like i <laughs> If well, you want to get better at this, it seems like you'd have a lot of opportunities. It seems like is maybe I think maybe like he was he was good at it. Now this is also death after two world wars and like the confluence of people all killed at once in a oh, sure. yeah, he's been span. busy. He's been a busy boy. So he's very tired and exhausted. And I think he's probably rethinking his career decisions. Um and for him, it's like it's not like he went to a temp agency and they placed him. Like this is this is why he exists. Yeah, um, right. It's and and it's not like you can just like what. I guess do you go to a funeral home? Like what is what career path <laughs> does being death prepare you for? I, I, I've almost just said president, and that seemed like a bad oh, thing to no. say. I was so. I was gonna make just like a joke about like go oh government something about the government. Well, right? I'd Am be I right? like a DMV person. Is that what you're yeah, like? Oh, the DMV cartoon DMV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he is he is exhausted from his eternal existence and his job. Uh, says Zuzak at the, at the end of the book, um, and he's afraid of humans. And he's telling this story to prove to himself that humans are actually worth it. Um, okay. And it's kind of cool because he uh, Zuzak has said that he started writing the book with Death, and Death was like a super mean character, and he ditched it, and then like made it a first person narrative, and he realized that this like ten year old girl from Germany sounded like an Australian from the nineteen nineties, and he's uh-huh. like, I can't do that. And then he made it a third person narrative, and he didn't like it because it was. It didn't feel right. It felt too grim. Um, ironically enough, adding the character of death back in like kind of mitigated that a little bit. And I think it's sort of I think it's sort of cool if you make death a reluctant participant and in like his only job. Yeah, it's kind of cool because he he marvels at us mm-hmm. um, a couple of times throughout the book. He marvels at humans who are able to carry on in the face of him. Um 
he talks about visiting the main character, Liesel Memminger, a couple times, but he doesn't take her until the third time, which is the end of her life. Okay. Um, and he refers to himself like being literally present at times and, and or like people slipping away from him and stuff like that in a way that like you never dwell on it. He just says it and then moves on. You're like, oh, that's a cool thing that wouldn't be possible if death were not the narrator. Sure. Um, so the main character of the book, though, not death, uh, as I said, is Liesl Memminger, the titular book thief. And she is a young girl from, I I think the implication is maybe she's from another part of Germany or, or from Austria or something. Uh, we meet her on a train as a, as a young girl with her mother and her brother who is very sick. And they're going to Munich and she is going to be sent to a foster family because her dad is gone and uh, her mom can't afford to raise them. So okay. she's sending them to Munich and on this train her brother is very sick and he dies and like she just can't so she ends up being left alone when she's when they bury her brother before she goes to the foster family she steals her first book she steals a graveyard keepers manual which like she doesn't understand she doesn't know how to read and she only has it because it's the last time that she was with her mother and her brother okay um and so she gets sent to this small town outside of Munich called Mulking, M-O-L-C-H-I-N-G, mm-hmm. uh, where she is set to live with the Huberman Humerbahn family, um, Rosa and Hans, who are older. They have two kids, uh, one of whom their daughter Trudy like doesn't really factor into the story, and their older son Hans Jr. goes like full on Nazi pretty early gray (laughs) like he leaves the family because his dad isn't enough of a nazi Mm -hmm. think about that i don't want to no (laughs) (laughs) you sort of have to only because of the show still has a little bit of time left in it but Mm -hmm. the the book i think in general it is is portraying this town this small town of mulking where people are undergoing the growth and decline of Nazi Germany and what it means for them on like on the ground. Like how are these young people going to get by? How are these families going to relate to one another while this regime exists? Um, And along the way you have this young girl kind of growing up and, and figuring out who she is. Okay. So uh, her mom, well, and the book like, she is quickly taught to refer to these people as mama and papa, uh, even though obviously they are her like adopted parents, essentially. Um, Rosa, I think it would just be easier that way, right? Yeah, and, and they're pretty stern about it at first. She develops a really good relationship with Hans. Um, Rosa is like described as like a... Her, she's like a... I think it's both meant to like describe her shape, but more to describe how like uncaring she seems like she's a wardrobe with a jacket on it. Like she's just this kind of like tough, tense thing that doesn't care about you. Like she's always hitting Liesl with a spoon. And she has like lots of coats inside her. (laughs) Yes. She also does laundry. So maybe that's like a fitting metaphor that like snuck into his brain. I don't know. Mm. Um, Hans is like a, a, painter like he paints houses and stuff and he is also he plays the accordion not well 
like he's not technically great, but he plays it in a way that you really like. Um, there's a really nice detail where he he can make a mistake, and the 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 little laugh that he makes afterwards is like part of experiencing listening to him. Oh, cool! Um, so like watching Jimmy Fallon perform. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's funny. You should Thanks. you should be on TV. You could be on Jimmy Fallon. Show. Funnier than Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> I wanted to like so you're be this story is being told to you by death. How often is death like inserting himself into this narrative? How often is he just like fading into the background and letting things play out? Like what do you what is it like to have death narrate a story for you? He is I'm sorry I keep coming back to no, this. No, no, it's, it's like it's, it's a neat it, choice. It is a great choice, and it actually like helps sell the book without us needing to go through the whole plot. the The thing that it does, even more so than inserting him into the story, is that it allows him to structurally be really uh, all over the place in a way that still feels like valid and interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to give you two examples. One, a lot of the chapters have this like poetic opening little epigraph where he will say you know part four the sandover man featuring and then it's like a little list like a little poetic list the accordionist a promise keeper a good girl a jewish fist fighter the wrath of rosa a lecture a sleeper the swapping of nightmares and some pages from the basement and like obviously you don't know what all that means you have a sense at that you know four five chapters into the book of what it might mean um but he gets to be poetic in a way that if it were told from the perspective of a character in the 1940s, it might feel like a little out of place. Uh, sure. It allows it to be a modern novel for for not a modern story. How about that? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is with some of these lists, he gets to jump in and out of people's minds in a way that without having to do like a close third person thing, um, he can just speak to their beliefs and their desires uh almost as if it's like gossip from a friend but he's never making stuff up um so when liesel has to it she has a tough road ahead of her and this is going to build us to our second example of this um she has to assimilate into this family that's not hers she has to find a way into this community um where she lives in the poor part of town She's behind in school because she doesn't know how to read. She's a 10-year-old girl in the Hitler Youth, but like her dad was a communist, and that's probably why her dad's not around. Um, and she doesn't know what happened to her mom. Um, and her adoptive dad, uh, only his application to the Nazi party is pending because they know that he uh, has like protested what they're doing. Um mm-hmm but he had to submit an application so that at least they would like let him continue having his business. Right. Um, so there's a lot of reasons for her to like both want to be a part of this community and not. Um, and w- she meets this kid named Rudy uh, Steiner who becomes a good friend of hers. And his dad uh, is a member of the Nazi party. And there's this section that death gives us called the contradictory politics of Alex Steiner. And he gives like five reasons why Steiner is both in the party 
and like maybe he has misgivings about it, right? So I'm, I'm not going to mm-hmm. do it word for word, but here are the here are the five points, and I think this is kind of emblematic of a lot of characters in the book. Okay. Point one: He was a member, even though he didn't hate the Jews. Like he signed up because you had to sign up, but he doesn't hate Jews. However, point two: He was relieved that uh, his business was not being affected as Jewish businesses were being closed. And obviously that helps him support his family. Sure. But point three, does that mean that it's right to get rid of them? Point four, he had to support his family and he would do anything he could to do that. Point five, and this is the quote, somewhere far down, there was an itch in his heart, but he made it a point not to scratch it. He was afraid of what might come leaking out, Um, which is A, gross, and B, uh, the kind of like, you know there's a moral thing that probably you should be doing, but for a lot of reasons you are ignoring it, uh, perhaps because other people depend on you or because you've rationalized a a less morally good choice, but a... Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's the problem with, like, go ahead to get along. Go yeah, ahead to yeah. Go along to get along? Is that the thing? The idiom? <laughs> yeah, keeping up it. with the Johnsons? I don't know what it is. I don't know. <laughs> like, the, the, there's just like, oh, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to live my life, like, whatever. Um, the, the, so it exposes both the problem with that and the problem with, like, voting for, like, support, sure. supporting something because you agree with some of it, even though the rest of it is morally reprehensible garbage. Like, yeah. For, like, there's no, when you vote for somebody who's like that, uh-huh. it doesn't, like, you can't, there's not, like, a little sub box you get to check that's like, oh, but I hate that you're racist. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's like, you are, you are tacitly endorsing the rest of everything when you when you'd support that stuff. And I know I don't know, I I was refreshing my memory on on like the Nazi rise to power and it it um it wasn't it's not surprising but it is it is sobering. Yeah, sure. The extent to which they did not have the support of the majority of of the people in Germany and that as is, they as they came up. Yes. Like especially early on, but and, even even when they like consolidated their power and really and 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 moved up they were doing it with like a third of the electorate yeah which is just hey wild like well and that's something this book actually does a really good job of portraying i think because the fact that its protagonists are two like preteens who are in the hitler youth because you have to be right it's not like a choice right um and they both come to their own conclusions about why they don't want to be a part of that anymore. Like, both Liesel and Rudy have a distinct moment after we've seen them, like, do a Sieg Heil because you're a 10-year-old and you're told to, um, where they come to their own personal conclusions for, like, hating Hitler. And I, can, like, I can't even imagine... I mean, the book does a good job of helping me imagine. But, like, when I think about it in, a, in the real world, like how how audacious is not the greatest word for it but he just wove himself into their lives in such a total way right that this small town of people has to like they have to celebrate his birthday and they're and the family the Hubermans are scared at one point cuz they can't find their nazi flag to hi- hang in the window and 
no one goes to the street where all the Jewish businesses were that were smashed on Kristallnacht, and those people are gone. And everyone just kind of goes to the book burning on Hitler's birthday because you're told to, and the Hitler youth have to march during it. Um, right. And it does it does a really good job of of showing these people who are just terrified to not be able to get by everyone's hanging on by a thread there's even a line where um he references death obviously the narrator references like everyone was poor in this town even though purportedly germany's economy was doing great with the rise of hitler and like everyone should have been complaining about what their situation was but they didn't have the means to or they didn't have the outlet to uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was also like, it was. I just, I'm, I'm seeing parallels to to other things uh-huh. as I'm reading through this, and that's like coloring my perception of it. But like, the like Nazis were like they were around in the mid and to late twenties, but they weren't doing great, and they didn't start getting a big boost until like the Great Depression hit. Yep. And when something huge and inexplicable and and just like hard to fix like that comes up, you just start looking for people to blame. Yep. And there are people who absolutely will take advantage of that politically. We'll we'll say, hey, I'm going to fix this without offering concrete solutions. And that's how you get into like all, all you all you know is that whatever is happening now is not working. And so you start casting around for other stuff. And and. By the time we encounter that, narr- you know that historical narrative in this book, everybody trumpeting that version of the story has come to power already, and this community is trying to get by. Right, and it's and it's devastating to watch them the sacrifices that they make. So, like later in the book, um, Steiner, uh, Rudy's dad, who I just read his contradictory politics of, like he ends up sacrificing himself really. Because, uh, like, the SS shows up and they're like, your son is, like, super athletic and decent at school. We want to take him to special Nazi school. And the parents are like, no. And then they send Alex Steiner, who's this, you know, middle-aged man, out to fight in the war instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that's a story that comes from Zuzak's family. He said that that's a thing that his grandfather did. Um, and yeah, it's just... It's rough, and and you you see Liesel just kind of trying to be a good person. She's a girl. She reminds me of um, Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, sure. Um, in the way that she, you know, she's one of the few young women, if if one of the only that you meet in the book. Um, a lot of young boys in the book, and she's trying to fit in. She gets in fights at school. As I said, like her learning to read is a very important part of the book, but she starts behind. Um, and one of the things that attaches her to her new dad is that in the middle of the night when she wakes up from a nightmare because her brother died, um, the dad will come in and he'll sit with her and they read together. And um, there's like, so when she goes to this book burning, she sees a book in the pile that wasn't burned and she can't help it and like steals it and like secrets it away. And I think it was being does burned. Does she like does she know why she's like stealing books? <laughs> um the first one it's just like it's there and she's in an intense 
situation, the one from the graveyard, and she's just in an intense situation and just like grabs it because mm-hmm. she's never going to see that grave again. It, it's something on the ground that is a keepsake from that moment. Um, the one with the 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 book burning is more about like at this point she has a love of books and she sees one that has been spared from the flames and she has an opportunity to get it. Um, is she like intentionally rebelling against anything at this point, or is she yeah? Just like, at this point, okay. she she knows that she hates the Führer, um, and she loves reading and loves books and loves the power of words. Um, she does get spotted by a woman who turns out to be the mayor's wife, and this her book thievery uh, ends up continuing because when she. Uh, She's like delivering laundry for her mom and then like one by one all the families in town like say they can't afford it even though they probably can but mm-hmm. like they can't anymore. And so it's really hard times for her family and the mayor's wife is like the last person to say no. Um, and this is after she knows that the mayor's wife has all these books in her house and when her and Rudy begin this practice of like other stealing of like stealing food and, and you know, something to get by, uh, she sees an opportunity to go to this woman's house and like steal books. And so every couple months she sneaks into this woman's house and like steals a book and the woman knows and they have like a whole relationship about it. That's kind of moving mm-hmm. where like she lost a son and this is some sort of like atonement for her. Um, but yeah, so she's stealing these books and and is in a way like it allows her to process the world and become closer to her dad and uh get us carve out a space for herself um that is different from just kind of the outsider that she was. Okay. Um the other big plot that happens in this book and and uh I was surprised at how affecting it was. I don't think I've read, you know, I've read the trope of Obviously, it's an unfortunately common trope of families hiding uh, Jewish people um, during this time period, and I don't think I just don't. I'm trying to think of how many I have read, um, probably like a half dozen. But uh, this one was surprisingly fresh. So they they end up the family ends up hiding a Jewish man named Max Vandenberg uh, because his father saved. Hans's the the father the papa's life during World War One, and it's this all of the ways that people survive in this book. This is worth talking about. Are kind of through like accident and happenstance. It's not because they overcame something. Okay, it's because they were in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the right time. Sure. So uh, the only reason that this guy Hans Huberman isn't dead is because in World War One the lieutenant walked in and was like, who has good handwriting? And this other guy, Vandenberg, like pointed at his friend Hans and was like, this guy does. And then Hans gets assigned to like write a bunch of letters for the captain that day. Everyone else goes to fight and dies. Um, so Hans goes and visits that guy's family and is like, let me know whenever your son can, you know, I will help your family whenever. And so like mm-hmm. 30 years later, this guy Max shows up. He's a young Jew, and he needs a place to hide. And you call in some favors. Call you call in that favor, and so they keep him in the basement. And he and Liesel like strike up a friendship as he kind of battles through some illnesses. And he also has like nightmares that keep him up. And they bond over like books and and reading. Um, 
like Liesel is one of the few characters in the book who actually like quote unquote survives um, because like it's not a spoiler to say that death comes for everyone in this book because um, yeah even I mean because that's kind of how it starts yeah right? <laughs> he <laughs> says that um, she ends up surviving uh, the the final like air raid of the book because she's in her basement like writing um, mm-hmm. and her love of language actually like spares her not because she was doing something brave or anything like that but she was doing a thing for her um, Max uh, after the events of the book he ends up surviving even though he was sent to a concentration camp um, the people in the story that like kind of fight to stay alive in this village none of them make it um, okay so the the inversion of your traditional like narratives of like who gets to survive and why is kind of cool um, and Max as a character is this interesting guy because, uh, like I said, he shares her love of language and, and they bond. There's this really cool moment and this will, this is for me, a, a really powerful image in the book and the power okay. of words. He is able to survive his trip to this small town because Hans has mailed him a copy of Mein Kampf with a key inside of it, like a key to their gate. And so he is able to not get caught on the train because the train conductor like sees him reading Mein Kampf and is like, all right, I'm just going to I'm just going to look at your ticket. You're good. See you later. And then Max is in this basement and he's developing this friendship with Liesel and he kind of wants to explain who he is to her. So he rips all the pages out of Mein Kampf, paints over them and then like writes a story on top of them. And it's this like, it's almost like a children's book that he makes for her about his life. It's called like the standover man or something. And it's It's like a really, just like really high stakes version of hiding a comic book in your like earth science textbook so you can (laughs) read it during class. Okay. (laughs) Um, But so he like, what's cool is, and I was reading it in a Kindle edition. I can't even imagine how it's laid out in the full version. There are, there are images in the version I was reading that are of these like painted pages that Max made. And you can see like text of Mein Kampf in the background, like bleeding through it. And it's this like powerful transformation of hateful, destructive words into a thing that is about, you know, love and, and friendship. Um, right. Cause the, the standover man, the story that he tells is like, he spent his whole life, um, dealing with people like men looking down at him or looking over him in a way that was like threatening or, or whatever. And when he finally woke up in their house from his sickness, the person who was looking over him was this little girl who ends up caring for him um, mm-hmm. and does really nice things for him. So it's this moving little thing that he makes for her. Um, and he makes another one later in the book. But it's I was struck by the fact that it was like, oh, no, this is no, this is on Hitler's book. OK, that's kind of cool. Um, cause the other thing that this, that in general, that the book thief is talking about is that words have this wonderful power, but certainly that is a thing that Hitler also weaponized. Um, yeah, definitely. Like that was his whole thing was his, was Mein Kampf and his rhetoric and his speeches and, and that he was not going to fire, like he didn't need to fire a shot for a lot of the horrible things that he did. Yeah, and in fact, that, like that was a big, because um, there was you know pre um, beer hall putsch Nazism, yep. mm-hmm. and then like post beer hall putsch Nazism after Hitler got out of jail, 
and the the version that eventually ascended and became you know Nazism as we know it in World War Two was way more about like soft power, hearts and minds, like not not firing shots, but just like talking to people and and speaking to them and convincing them of of things. Yeah, it, and and then there's a there's an implicit force behind all of that that you see woven through this book, which is just like no. I can't disagree with that or else there are too many ramp there are too many bad consequences like debate has been killed because mm-hmm. this kind of soft force power has has been exerted um and yeah and Liesl and Max's friendship it becomes a big cornerstone in the book um and then also her friendship with with Rudy as I said and I want to bring us home on on Rudy's character briefly um because it's cool that he's not the main character. I, I actually think he works really well as a character that we are with intermittently as a foil to Liesl's story where he's this like he's a rambunctious young boy who doesn't always fit in. Um, the big backstory of his is the Jesse Owens incident that is a made up part of this book. Um, but it draws on Jesse Owens in the Berlin Olympics um, competing and like winning four gold medals and Hitler hating it and all the German people who were subscribing to this Aryan supremacy argument being like, wait a second, black American who came in here and stomped us in the Olympics. What's that Mm -hmm. about? (laughs) Um, And so this little boy uh, comes to idolize Jesse Owens for this event, not because he understands the hatred or anything. He's just an amazing athlete and he idolizes him. And, so, and this takes place before Liesl comes to town, but he covers himself in coal mm, and <laughs> like runs around a track like in the center of town and he gets punished for it. Uh, but it's the moment where his dad like explains to him kind of what the what the Nazis are about and he right. doesn't really get it. Um, so the whole book is about Rudy being like, I'm this I'm this guy who wants to do great things. And I don't understand, like, why the system is the way it is. Um, and all he wants... This is, like, the, the closest thing to a romantic plot of the book is he he always begs Liesl for a kiss, like, as a... And it comes across as, like, a sweet young kid thing. It, it doesn't feel too, like, gross or anything like that. He's just a little boy mm-hmm. who wants a kiss from her. Um, sure. And even to the point where, like, he does one deed for her where he asks for it and probably could have gotten it, but he's too scared of what might happen if it happens so that he just doesn't ask again. Um, And their story uh, builds to a final moment um, based on that question that that is really powerful. But what Rudy's story is interesting because this whole like him becoming a good athlete and stuff is the thing that puts him, makes him appealing to the Nazis and is the thing that where they come and, and... asked to have him and his dad has to go off to war to protect him um so it's just interesting that like a different vein for a kid who doesn't quite fit into what the system wants is what actually makes him appealing to the people in control of the system yeah um and he and rudy and he and um liesel rather have like all sorts of thieving adventures over over the course of the book where they're like stealing food and dealing with other boys that are thieves and some of them are good and some of them are bad right um it's 
I don't want to moral equivalency is a bad phrase, so I'm not going to say that. But <laughs> you just did. Well, well, I don't Bonk. want to attribute it to this book. I will say right. the book does a really good job of like letting bad guys be bad guys, right? There are legit scenes where Nazi officers march a parade of Jewish prisoners through the center of town on their way to a camp. Like that happens. It sucks. It's bad. Neato. Um, but there are also a lot of instances where you see people grow out of their going along to get along where you see the causes for those things. And then you like are taken behind the curtain and they themselves are taken behind the curtain to be like, Hmm, no, this is actually more important to me. Uh, I'm willing to lose this because of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a sad book. Like, it's playful. I think to your earlier question about like why death as a narrator, and again, I think it helps keep the book playful without being jokey, but certainly like allows it to have some agility that prevents it from being too maudlin. Um, for for a topic that is understandably heartbreaking at times, like the and the maudlinness at this point, I think can be like built into it because we know we're yeah and we're just like we're distant enough from it that it can seem sort of like manipulative to yes to just use world war ii and all the horrible things that happened in it to evoke an emotional response but it does not sound like that's what the book is is concerned with doing you mentioned the um you know the painting and the writing over mein Kampf as a powerful emotional moment for you was there like anything else big like in the prose or any little scenes or even anything in the narration that really caught you that is gonna like stick with you for a while do you think there are two scenes i don't want to forget and they're neither of them are huge but one is just that the book occasionally does a really good job of setting up really positive moments between characters that don't feel uh slow so And, and death will tell you, he the narrator, he'll tell you that a good thing happens uh, and then he'll tell you that a bad thing's coming right after it. But there's one one example is the first Christmas that she spends with the Hubermans. Liesl, like, asks for two books and Papa, like, sacrifices his, like, cigarette rations for weeks so that he can buy her two books. And there's a cool little, like, cute little conflict where Mama's like, hey, you gave up all your cigarettes for her books, but you couldn't get me, like any new clothes like all my clothes are old (laughs) and falling apart and literally dad just says well they were all out of shoes so (laughs) it's like in the middle of this book listen that's not even like it's not even oh i forgot about it oh i was focused more on our daughter it's like oh i thought about it and i decided not to i decided not to good job dad and it's this lovely little (laughs) little story beat that happens on the way to some sadder stuff like the book burning, right? Um, I think overall this book does a really good job of that, of like giving characters room to breathe. Uh, it's a long book, but the prose is, is pretty straightforward, so it's not like, it doesn't feel like a burdensome long book. It's um, a long book, but a fast read, you'd say? Yeah, sure. Um, and the, again, I'll, I'll go back to your the other example I want to mention, I'll go back to my other theme of like characters survive in ways that are surprising and interesting. They get by in ways that is 
either a subversion or just kind of feels fresh or interesting. Like there's a sadness to the fact that Max Vandenberg, the the Jew that they take in, he leaves his family behind on Kristallnacht. And the only reason he is able to escape is the chaos of Kristallnacht. And they like send him away because they know they can get him out even while like all these storefronts are being destroyed and people are being attacked and things like that. And so his whole like starting point is this cowardice of survival and the reality of like basically being confined to a room every day of your life and every other thing you say to someone is both is either I'm sorry or thank you. Um, And I was just thinking I read those scenes thinking a lot about uh, folks today who or even in the last like 30 years, um, but certainly in today's news, like who have done a lot of work for undocumented and unauthorized immigrants in the United States and like keeping people safe and helping them get the legal help that they need or, or keeping them safe while they can go get the legal help that they need. Mm -hmm. Um, And just this book does a really good job of showing the small beats that, uh, that crop up along a story like that of keeping Max safe in their basement. Okay. Um, Oh, I feel like I have one more, but but I got away from me, so that's it. It's gone. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a really it's a it's a powerful book, and I think the oh the oh I will say it's the last the last thing surprising and in, in uh, surviving in surprising ways when they go through one of their air raids because this town is outside of Munich and Munich was uh, attacked you know and bombed severely. Uh, during ni- in 1944 and um, during one of the false alarms there's this passage where they're all like hiding in someone's basement and Liesl starts reading from a book that she brought with her and it like calms everyone down and then it like builds to a couple other relationships um, and that people just kind of like they don't. They all literally survive, but emotionally they survive because this young girl is able to like read to them and calm their nerves, and that speaks to the larger themes of the book. Um, and again, she is then spared from her own death because of her ties to literature and and creating through words and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's it hits some of the beats you'd expect it to hit, but the characters are specific enough and. Uh, their relationships are unique enough that you're not like, oh, this again, you know. Um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't feel as manipulative. Um, even though I think like kind of, I feel like there's a like fault in our stars, uh, adjacent Uh-oh. vibe for a lot of YA <laughs> fiction. No, no, not even this book in particular. But I feel like that is a. <laughs> And I don't mean that to denigrate that book, but that is a a thing that people sometimes expect coming into YA stuff in terms of like sure. it's going to hit your heartstrings, and it does. But it is also an interesting enough like it's small in the ways that it needs to be small. Um, it doesn't, f- which is a, an odd compliment to give it, but I think the <laughs> the the individual relationships and scenes are like contained enough with without it being this big. It is this big, like, you know, war book, um, mm-hmm. but it's tied to this, you know, couple of these characters. So, yeah, it's a good book. I'm glad I read it. it was, good. I enjoyed it. I feel like this has been one, like, I'd, I was a little 
conscientious because I was making a bunch of goofs at the beginning, and sometimes yeah. people are like, "Wow, these guys just make so many goofs, and they don't talk about the book." <laughs> so I just like let you talk about the book and and relay your experience with it. That seems um, reasonable. There's not but, a lot of stuff yeah. I would goof on in this book, you know, like. I, is there, but is there anything else where the narrator is like a main focus where you would put death in? I feel like Shawshank. Oh, maybe it's like a little close to death already. Yeah, March um, of the Penguins. Oh, what if death was the narrator <laughs> if, in March of the what Penguins? If, what if death was like, yeah, all these penguins are going up here to to nest and to mate. But ultimately, they're all going to die anyway because all life ends. <laughs> what if death was the narrator of the Berenstein Bears? Whoa. Mama Bear's going to die. Papa Bear's going to die. I feel like it doesn't work as well with cartoon characters because they don't have to die. They can just be immortal forever. Oh, like the Simpsons. Yeah, like the Simpsons, who, which is like in its 30th season or some <laughs> ridiculous thing. I'm looking it up because I've even lost track of how long it's been going. Um, yeah, 29 seasons. So maybe death should be the narrator of The Simpsons and kind of lock that thing up is what you're saying? I'm just like, death is coming for The Simpsons. <laughs> if there are some other books that you, the listener, think death should appear in or be in charge of, um, hit us up with those on social media or using our, our email account. That's overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at facebook.com slash overduepod and twitter.com slash overduepod. Uh, got a lot of folks reaching out in response to our Fahrenheit 451 and Hitchhiker's Guide episodes last week. Uh, so thanks, Alex, Morgan, Becky, Aaron, Rachel, Melissa, or Emily, GD, Rebecca, Tina, Michelle, Carol, Holmbo, Lori, Jake, Benny, Elisa, Carlos, Dion, PK, Rhea, Mike, and Sarah. Uh, thanks so much. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. We have links to iTunes, Google Play, RSS. Um, always, you can subscribe to the show. Um, we also have links to our Patreon project. That's Patreon.com slash OverduePod. We put the, uh, the word out over our Twitter and Facebook feeds this week. But um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about some fee changes that Patreon was was thinking about rolling out, and they have, as of now, officially like rescinded that. Like there there are no fee changes coming. They swear that when they change things again, they will offer people like us like options, and they will solicit our feedback, which is a pretty significant departure from how they did it the first time. So um, yeah, if you didn't see that on our social feeds, just just know that and. Um, also, we have our merch store going for at least another couple of weeks. I think we're just going to run it to the end of the year at this point. Mm-hmm. And we got mugs, tote bags, bookmarks, stickers. Most of most of it is still around. The mugs, I think, are getting pretty close to sold out. Get like, one of those. Out, which is nice. Um, but yeah, overduepodcast.com slash store. You can get some discounts. We will ship some stuff out to you as quickly as we can. Yeah, just like get some get some merch. Get like it. Promote our promote our brand, but also get yourself some nice stuff. Yeah, get some nice stuff. Uh, so next week, oh boy! For, speaking uh, of nice stuff, <laughs> speaking of nice stuff, next week we're getting into a holiday mood. We're reading the novelization of the Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. 
the book does not star Tim Allen, but the movie star Tim Allen. And I we just watched that yesterday. Oh boy. And, whoa, it is <laughs> not like great. It's something else, huh? It's something else. Well, we will uh, talk about it next week, and I hope you guys join us. I hope you guys join us, and if you do, or even if you don't, I suppose, try to be happy. (laughs) That was a HeadGum Podcast.